Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Antioch. It is good to be with you again in God's house. I greet you in the name of the Father and our wonderful elder brother, Jesus Christ, and the sweet Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time and for your presence in this place. I thank you, Lord, for your people who are gathered in this room. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, that I decrease and you increase. And Lord, that you prepare hearts and minds to be receptive to what it is that you would speak by your spirit to us today. God, give us understanding. Soften our hearts that we might be willing, Lord, to receive that which you, that the spirit has to say on this day. Lord, be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans. Today, we're looking at the words of our brother Paul. He speaks to us about waiting with hope for transformation. I beg you, brothers, I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, is what it says in the KJV. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I, I began um, preparing for today. I was praying, and, and one of the things that came clearly into my mind was, if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. It's Romans 8.25. If we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So Paul introduces this letter saying that um, he is a servant of Jesus Christ who is called to be an apostle. And it is written, addressed to all that be in Rome, yes, but also to the beloved of God and those called to be saints. So I like to think that he was including us in this letter. And we get to read this letter that was written to this people um, and then by the Spirit to us. And he begins by saying, I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you, I am pleading with you. And from this, we can discern that this is kind of important, what he is about to say. 
I urge you, I am pleading with you. This is important, this is urgent, and this is necessary. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. And I don't want to jump over that because in our culture that we live in, we have a tendency to individualize everything. And that this is just about an individual person. And more importantly, sometimes we'll say that's about those other individual people. Um, but he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, that's all of you, all of us. This is not just written just to the elders. It's not just written to deacons. It's not just for the bishop, if that's your tradition. It's not even just to the worship leaders or the greeters, this people with special titles or roles um, or responsibility. He says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, those who name the name of Jesus, those who have said, I am choosing to follow him, those who are of the household of faith, the children of the most high God, I urge you by the mercies of God. In other words, God help you. Again, this is important what he's about to say and recognizes that he acknowledges the enormity of what he is going to say. He acknowledges the need for the supernatural in order to do it. So we're gonna start from the premise that what we are being challenged to do, yes, we cannot do in our own strength. Yes, we cannot do just as mere humans. Yes, it is probably too hard and too much. But he says, by the mercies of God, by the power of God, God helping us. I urge you, brothers and sisters, God helping us that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is something that we must do for ourselves. Um, many of us have, have grown up in traditions where there are baby dedications, right? And perhaps that happens here as well, right? And there are times when a family, a couple has a child and they decide, I want to symbolically give my child this gift that has been given to us back to him. And we bring our little ones before God and before our families and friends and our congregation, and we offer them back to the Lord. 
And at that time, usually they're these cute little babies, or sometimes they may be a little bit older, but they tend to be small children who don't really know what is going on, right? They're just there, maybe they're trying to grab the microphone, maybe they're annoyed and they're crying a bit, maybe they, lots of times they're just asleep, they're just totally out of it. But they don't know, and there is no volition on their part. Their parent, their grandparents, their godparents, in some cases, are standing with them, offering them. But this that we're talking about this morning is not that. It is not something that others can do for you. Not a parent not a pastor, not your spouse or your friends. And it's not even like Abraham offering Isaac. Because Abraham was still taking Isaac. Now, Isaac was older. He wasn't the baby in arms. And he was, therefore, cooperative. And, we, and he was even talking to his father about what was going on. And he had some understanding of what the sacrifice process was supposed to be. He must have seen it before because he said, oh, we have the wood. We got, where is the sacrifice? He understood these are some things that are supposed to be in place. He was old enough to be cooperative to what his father was uh, attempting to do with him. But he still was not choosing to do this for himself. No, this is not that either. No, we must choose with knowledge and forethought to give our whole selves to God. Everything in our minds, everything in our hearts, every desire, all thoughts, all fears, all ideas and passions and hopes and dreams. The message says, you're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. That that is what God is asking for. That is what we must choose to present, to place it before God, to dedicate it to God. All of it, everything, withholding nothing. Present it, place it before God. I urge you, brethren, sisters, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, yourself, a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that is offered up. Now, Jesus was offered for us. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for us. A sacrifice to appease the sin debt that we owed. 
Adam sinned through disobedience, and that sin was passed down to us, kind of like in our DNA, and therefore passed down and passed down and passed down. And we sin because we were born sinners. And the wages, the Bible says, of sin is death. So God sends his son in the person of Jesus and dies a sacrificial death for sin, propitiation. Now, a living sacrifice, though, is not offered for God, but to God. God is not asking us to die for him. He died for us. But we are offering ourselves to him in gratitude and in thanksgiving. Now, we lay our lives down for one another, but we offer ourselves to God in thanksgiving, in gratitude, in response to the sacrifice that has been made for us. In the sacrifice for sin, blood was required. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sin. No, this is not a blood sacrifice. This is a living sacrifice. Now, what is the difference? It's kind of like when we talk about a will. And there is a last testament or a last will and a living will, right? A last will and testament and a living will. And the last will takes legal effect upon death. When this person dies, now everything goes into effect. But a living will is effective when a person is incapacitated, when we are deprived of, or she is deprived of qualification or strength to act on her own behalf, the decisions are yielded to another. So in likewise, a propitiatory sacrifice that Jesus made took effect upon his death immediately There were things that went into place when Jesus died. My sin was covered. I was forgiven when Jesus died. A living sacrifice takes effect at the point of surrender. When I decide, when you decide to willingly surrender, to give up, our lives. Jesus died and the sin debt on your account, on my account, was marked paid in full. It took effect upon his death. But the living sacrifice is an ongoing daily choice to surrender 
every aspect of myself, my life as holy, set apart for God and his use. Every part of my life. And before we can object and say, wait, that's too much, Paul adds, and this is in the KJV, your reasonable service. Giving everything. That's, that's just your reasonable service. It's just your logical, intelligent, your true and proper act of worship. Now, this isn't for everybody in the sense that it's only for the people who've decided I'm all in with Jesus. I have decided to follow him. I am giving my life to him. Because there were always people when Jesus was walking around who were in the crowd, right? The multitude. And they liked Jesus. They liked hearing him talk. And thought that Jesus guy is something else. He's great, right? Yeah, I think he's really cool. But they weren't the same as the disciples who said, no, I'm all in. I left everything else. I'm following you. This sacrificial life, this living sacrifice is for the people who've crossed over that line and said, for God I live and for God I die. They are the brothers and sisters. And it is our reasonable service. This thing that we do here, our singing, our praying, our crying, our praising, this is just the beginning. This is just the tip of the iceberg of our worship. No true and proper worship begins as we climb up on the altar and lay down. As we surrender day after day after day. Um, there was one day I was um, actually taking a long hot bath and I was listening to some worship music and I was praying and just asking God, you know, Lord, just want to know uh, what more, what, what do you want? You know, what is it that you would have me to do? You know, you have those moments and you just like, Lord, I just love you. What, what is it you want? What, do, what would you have me do? Because I want to do whatever you want me to do. And so as I'm thinking, I'm praying, and I'm listening to the music, and I start humming a song that I'm hearing, um, kind of unconsciously at first, and then I start kind of singing it. And you provide the fire, I'll provide the sacrifice. You pour out your spirit, 
I will open up inside. Fill me up, Lord. And I'm singing. And after a little while, I was like, whoa, what? Because I realized God was answering me in the song that the Spirit was singing through me. And I realized what the words were saying that I'm saying out of my mouth, Lord, you provide the fire. I will be the sacrifice. And when I realized, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Can we just like back up a second, God? Because that sounds like that might be painful. There's fire and then I'm the, I got to climb up into the fire. And I, wait a minute. Wait, he said, you asked me. What did I want? I want it all. Do you believe that I love you? Do you believe that I am working things together for your good? I want it all. And so I attempted to keep singing that song. And tears were falling because I knew what he was asking for. And I was realizing that despite everything, there was still parts of me that was just a little bit afraid. Isaac, what if Isaac had gone up there to offer himself? In the midst of the society that says, you deserve to live for yourself. It is all about yourself and what you deserve. That's a difficult ask. the reasonable and logical expectation is based on a word that we temporarily jumped over. And that is the word therefore. I urge you brothers and sisters, therefore. Therefore, I urge you. The therefore explains why this is reasonable and logical, why this is not too much to ask, why this just makes sense as an act of worship. And so Paul is referring back to everything he had talked about before we got to this point in the text. Everything in those first 11 chapters. He is talking to us about some things that he laid out to us in that letter. He talks to us about despite the fact that God had revealed himself to the Gentiles since the creation of the world, we did not acknowledge him and were filled with unrighteousness. And in chapter 2, despite the truth that the children of Israel were chosen, they directly and directly given the law 
they still blasphemed the name of God because they, they did not keep the law. And in chapter three, he concluded that there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in chapter four, he went on to say, still, we have been justified by and through faith. And our faith, God has counted for righteousness. And in chapter five, he said, being justified by that faith, we have peace with God now, and we are saved from the wrath to come. And in chapter six, we have been made free from sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer ruled by it. Chapter eight, we are free from condemnation. We have received the spirit of God, the spirit of adoption, who testifies that we are the children of God, and he makes intercession for us. All these things are working together for our good. We have been predestined chosen before the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We have been called and we stand before God justified just as if we never sinned. We have been glorified. We have been made inseparable from the love of God. In chapter 9, we who were said to be not a people are now called the children of the living God. With our mouths, chapter 10, we can confess and in our hearts believe and we shall be saved and not ashamed. Therefore, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, because that's the reasonable response to what has been done for us. Amen. <laughs> and <laughs> he says, we're like, wait, there's more we got to do? <laughs> but he goes on in verse 2. He says, and be not conformed. Be not conformed. Be not in harmony with, in agreement with, similar in nature or form or character. Do not be shaped or made similar to the world. This age, this world system. Again, that's a big and. Because I feel like we spend so much time trying to be like. <laughs> and sometimes in a misguided thinking that if we be like them, they'll like us and then they'll like our God. He says, be not conformed to this present age. The world is constantly exerting pressure on us to get us to fit into its order, its structure, its way of being, how to think, how to speak, how we should feel, 
what we do, what we expect. The call is not simply do not conform. Because nonconformity can lead just to rebellion. Um, you know, Portland's proud theme is keep Portland weird, right? <laughs> right? Let's just not be conformist, right? And so I will make my hair a rainbow color because I am going to not conform. The problem is, the next thing you know, everybody else has rainbow hair too. <laughs> so how many people do it before the nonconformity has become conformity? <laughs> no, God is calling us to move beyond just nonconformity. He's asking us to move to change to transformation. Metamorphosis. He says, be not conformed, but be transformed. It's not just refusing to be, but it's be ch choosing to become. All the emphasis is on who we are not so often. Well, we're not this, or we're not that, or what we won't do. But new life in Christ is about who we are and what we are called to do. It is easy to just be against. But what are we for? Romans 6 says, I guess, reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. Yield to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And this happens by the renewing of your mind. We used to say, come as you are, but then change this first and change that first and then change this and then, then come as you are, but change, change these things. And then we switch to come as you are and basically say as you are, it's fine. But the invitation of the spirit is come as you are and expect transformation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away. All things are become new. And transformation happens through the renewing of our minds. Through the reading and the studying and the living out of the word of God and in service and in humility and in obedience. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, 
thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of, the, of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him given him a name which is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let this mind be in you. But transformation is not instant. Sacrifice is something we do, but transformation is a work of the Spirit. It's not me saying, okay, I'm going to transform myself now. I've decided that I want to live a life for Jesus. Now I will transform myself. Many times we try to do that, right? I have this habit, I want, I, I, I want to stop it. I said, and then I try and I fail. Or I said, I'm going to really put this into practice. I'm going to read um, every day. I'm going to do this thing every day. And then I realize, oh, wow, it's been a week and I haven't done that thing. We try and we fail and we keep trying to change ourselves and we keep failing. And then we decide this doesn't work. But what God is asking us to do is institute the disciplines in our lives. Commit to the scripture reading. Commit to the prayer time. Commit to the serving and, and um, fellowship with other believers. Commit to those things and watch me transform you. Do and keep doing these disciplines as an act of faith. God, I don't see how the fact that I do this thing is going to result in the change of this thing, but God, I'm just going to keep doing that because you said this. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't see how one thing changes the other, but God, I'm going to keep doing this because you said this. I do this as an act of faith. As I offer up these daily sacrifices, these outward practices, God is doing something on the inside to conform me to the image of Christ. Sometimes my kids are acting a fool and I look at them and I say, that's all right, because God said you will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Whether or not you know it yet, I am going to believe that you will be conformed. Because that's the word of the Lord. So I'm just going to keep doing the things. God told me lately, he said, talk less, pray more. Talk less, pray more. And I have to try to discipline myself to talk less and to pray more for them. And to trust that as I am obedient to that word, God is doing something that is transformative in the lives of my children. The challenge of living in an instant society is that we want to see it now. If we don't, we think something is wrong. 
You know, we, we can go to Google and, and, and put something in the search bar and in a second have 2,000 answers to the question we posed. That is the world that we're living, living in. But some of us remember a time where you put in a question and you had to wait for dial-up. Anybody in here remember that? You know, like you could, you could put in your thing and then you could go downstairs, make a sandwich, brew some coffee, come back up and the little thing still be turning, right? It's like, we had to wait. We understood waiting. And we waited for that little thing to turn because we had an expectation that something was gonna come up on that screen even if it took a while to do so. But we have come into such an immediacy in our world that that is how we think God must move. I've been praying, but it's been a year and I don't see any difference. Can you imagine if we evaluated the physical the way we evaluate the spiritual? Imagine, I've been feeding this baby for four weeks and he's the same size. There's something wrong with this baby. This doesn't work. This, this feeding the baby doesn't work. Like, no, we, we don't think that way. I've been taking care, what, you've been taking care of that child all this time, 10 years, they're not independent yet? 10 years? God does not operate in my time. God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He said, Donna, I am not on your clock. I will move when I am ready to move. In fact, most of the time, I'm waiting on you. <laughs> God, we can't always see the change happening. But still, we believe by faith and we wait with hope. As I renew my mind, as I do it and keep doing it, I discover that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of the things I do not see. If we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Faithful is he that calls you who will also do it. He will do it. As I am renewing my mind, my expectations change. And sometimes we discover what we expected, what we hope for, doesn't even really line up with who God is or his will. As we renew our minds, we are more and more able to prove, to recognize, to test, and to discern what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. His will for our relationships, his will for our career, his will for our family, for our finances. Therefore, I urge you, everyone, based on all that Christ has done, 
that you present your bodies, your whole selves to God as a holy and acceptable act of surrender. And don't give in to the pressures of conformity or rebellion, but instead allow yourselves to be transformed by making your mind, your thinking new so that you will be able to know and rightly discern what the will of God is for our lives. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God.